0: Welcome to the 16th episode of D-Man Roundtable, sports podcast presented by the Depaulia. My name is Ryan Gilray. Like always, we have our assistant sports editor, Nate Billson. How are you, Nate? Doing all right. Nice. Uh, our sports editor, Lawrence, how are you? Decent, how are you? Good. And our editor-in-chief, Shane, how are you? Dandy. Today we have a special interview with Andrew Hattersley, the former sports editor of the DePoya, who came into the office uh, and talked to Shane and Nate about the current state of the DePaul basketball program and just what he's up to in general. But first, for our roundtable discussion. We've talked, the season's starting to come to an end for both the men and the women. We're in the middle of the Big East Tournament for the women right now. But we need to talk about this this loss that the men had the other night at Providence and how brutal it was, how crazy it was to see just a a collapse of just a team play overall with a ninety three fifty five loss during their senior night. So, an, initial thoughts. I
1: mean, we have that one more against Seaton Hall, right? No.
2: Well, we have the Xavier and the Big East tournament yeah. on Wednesday. Oh, okay. okay. So, yeah, that's this beyond. was a
1: perfect punctuation point, then, I think, on the season. Just, like, I mean, this was the biggest margin of defeat mm-hmm. all year. I think, uh, yeah, it was kind of a perfect end in some ways. Just, like, full give up. Just completely... Not there. Did not show up whatsoever. It also confirms
2: confirms a winless Big East road schedule, too, Mm. which really tells you something more. I mean, Mm. even the worst teams in any conference are going to get a couple at home. So when you can't win a single game on the road and you really weren't too close out of most of your games, like out of their nine games, there were only two on the road that really were that close to come to mind, which was, I think, the first game against Providence. That was at home, though. Oh, you're right. That was at home. Crap. <laughs> no, then I guess it was really only the road, the OT loss of Villanova. Yeah. And what else? Like Marquette else and Saint Hall. Marquette and yeah. Marquette and Saint Hall. When else? They They haven't really done much on the road. It's been, in yeah. those games that they've lost on the road, they 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 showed a side of them that that couldn't that couldn't handle being on the road. Couldn't handle um, the other team getting on fire. They couldn't handle that.
1: Yeah. I mean, they didn't do yeah. much at home either. Mm-hmm. is the thing, like, other than Butler, like, was the only, like, real, yeah. I mean, they had, one other, well, they had one other win at home, but, like, the, yeah, there's there's just nothing to show for the second half of the yeah. season, really, it, spe- even especially with the Butler win, because it was such an anomaly from the two games on mm-hmm. either side of it that, like, it doesn't even count.
3: No. I
0: don't
1: Mm-mm. know, I don't even have the words for it. My feelings. Yeah, it's really hard to sum this
0: up. (laughs) I'm
3: just
1: almost glad they lost
2: by forty points because, like,
3: come on, give them credit. It was only 38. Is that the
2: worst? (laughs) Is that the worst (laughs) loss in Lato's tenure? That That is
3: the worst loss in Lato's tenure in five years. Just shows, just shows how bad he's been. Five years. Um, thirty a thirty-eight point blowout
2: after you, five days after you beat your rival at home with your with your best player out, is not something that happens from a team that's competently coached. No. Yeah, no. There's we, something something happened this week, right? They had to have a horrible practice or something like that. I
3: mean, you don't go from you don't go from a win like that to a loss like that. I just think it was Marquette is so bad right now. Well, not so bad, but they're they're not yeah. playing well. And the Paul didn't even play well against Marquette. They shot like 30 percent from the field. Yeah, it was all
2: they but, were going for one thing, and they were hitting that. Yeah, it
3: was the free throws. Yeah, they were 31 of 35 from the free throws. If the free throws didn't fall, they would have lost that game as well. So. I don't. I don't think much changed between Marquette and, and Providence. I just think Providence is better than Marquette right now. And they were at home. It was their senior night, so they were playing like, mm-hmm. you know, like it was their end of the season. They're competing for the N C A tournament. They still have something to play for. DePaul. These last two games were pretty meaningless. Win or lose, mm-hmm. all it does is improves Lados' record by a smidge. Yeah. And, you know, and I, now, I just some extra I think bargaining
1: weird. power. Um, yeah, trying to salvage a new contract. And, and are
2: we looking at this Xavier game on Wednesday as I feel like the same thing is going to happen that happened against Providence. I don't know what, 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 gives them the reason to like? Are they going to? Well, Xavier's is this, is also like, desperate. Is but, some kind of flip going to switch in their heads? Feed
1: off like Madison Square Garden vibes. Yeah, but which didn't where go was very the DePaul well.
2: fan? I don't know. It's yeah. going to be a weird game because I feel like at Madison Square Garden the Xavier fans and the DePaul fans, like the traveling, <laughs> is not going to be. Great, so it's gonna be an interesting game. It's gonna be a weird game. There will be no
1: travel. Yeah,
3: fans. And,
1: the only DePaul fan that will be there is Dan Stack. And, and Lawrence, you're
3: going too. I'm going there. It's gonna be exciting. I remember Shane said back in October or November, he's like, Lawrence gonna be the longest, it's gonna be the longest sports center to stay in New York because DePaul's gonna go far in the tournament. I take that back. <laughs> <laughs> Lato, he jinxed you. He jinxed you, Lato. Yeah, um, I, I don't expect My much. <laughs> I, I think you know, because Sabres also. You know they they suffered a heartbreaking loss last night, mm-hmm. and they're on the bubble of the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Well, I mean, they can't lose here. to DePaul like I, they're gonna be very at, desperate. I looked
2: at bracketology this morning. He had Xavier as the last Big East team in as a 10 seed yeah. right now. Um, they Texas Tech is a team that is right now as one of the last four out. You know like the DePaul loss doesn't look good now. The bubble is the bubble is you know weaker <laughs> compared to recent years, but at the same time this bubble is. Very tight, and if Xavier's playing for something, DePaul would have to win the entire tournament to make the NCAA yeah. tournament. Yeah. Xavier just needs a game, two games, maybe two games. They're kind of like sweet spot. What? they like, I'm just like I'm just gonna be really interested to see because the first 10 minutes of that game, I think you're gonna decide the game. The first 10 minutes. Well, decide against gonna, Providence. Exactly. The first 10 minutes, DePaul's either gonna come out and they're gonna play like how they have in games that they've fought or at least been close in. And there's been a couple games like that on the road where they've gotten out to great starts. And that's what kind of kept them in the game, even if they got beat for the next 30 minutes. But again, the games have gotten blown out. The game against Creighton, the game against Providence, the games that were just really bad from the start. They came out flat and they came out looking like a team that didn't want to be there or had other places to be. And I don't know... What they're gonna, what I, I just hope they can get ready for this game. But if they don't get ready for it, they don't come out and they don't come out and play in those first 10 minutes and play super well. I mean, we might be looking at another kind of just footnote in the
3: whole Big East tournament. That that makes yeah. me really excited. Right
1: now. I think it's gonna come down to how, how the cut the Todd Paul approaches the coaching and of things because if it's kind of a reverse psychology to take here, but. If Leto comes out and it seems like he really feels like he's gotta make a run here to save his job and he seems to really have that vibe, then I think they lose. Mm-hmm. But if he like sits down on the bench the whole game and he's like, alright, someone else do this, I'm done, mm-hmm. I think maybe they have a chance. I think maybe that they like find some new mm-hmm. energy mm-hmm. and they we know they have the talent to compete with everybody yeah. in this conference Mm. and like I think that might be the miracle if they can find some completely new energy Mm -hmm. yeah and get get some synergy with the energy of Madison Square Garden because Lawrence you'll find out it's it's a really special feeling in that place um, especially for the Big East tournament because like
2: it's just so classic. You should, watch, you should watch that 30 for 30 documentary. Yeah. 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 You should watch sure. that right before, right before the big. It'll get you all... 30 minutes before the game. It'll get game. you all fired up. Yeah. You might be buying a ticket for the next day to go keep watching. So <laughs> I think that our problem with Lado and a problem with coaching in general is that when you have a season like this where you start off great and you completely crash and burn, you run out of things to say to the players because you're running out of things to say to yourself. Yeah.
1: When You crash and the burn mm-hmm. is that
2: long. Exactly. Yeah. You run out of things to say. What do you What do you tell yourself after lost three in a row that you can't tell yourself after lost six in a row? You know the same problems in lost one are the same problems in lost six. If you couldn't figure that out and lost two, three, four, and five, mm-hmm. why are you going to figure out and lost seven? Yeah. And that's when that's what these mm-hmm. coach. That's what this coach has to figure out. That's what this program has to figure out because that's really been the thing. They haven't. They haven't been able to step. They haven't been able to step up from their, their spot that other teams and other people have accepted them as. And I think it ends up bringing a mentality within the program that that's who they are, and that's who they should be, and that's where they are. And like that's just how things should be. I, I just can't say anything. Get, and that's how you get coaches on long contracts when they have you know underperformed.
3: Yeah, I just can't see anything changing. Unless Rick Leto does the right thing and resigns before the tournament, which she obviously won't do. Even if you have Lado sitting there, and let's say Tim Anderson's kind of just barking at the players, Leto's still the face of the program. You know, he still has to coach them on the on the bench, or else, you know, it's a, it's a bad look. Like, you can't be, you know, not coaching the team, but you're sitting there. Like, people are going to be asking, like, well, why are you there? What's going on? Then, question, real questions would be asked. So, I, I just can't see them turning it around because, you know, I don't even know if Paul Reed will play. And if he's not playing, that's a big loss against Xavier. Yeah, I mean, and Reed, Reed playing through a lot of pain. He yeah. be playing through a lot of pain. That I don't even blame if, blame him if he didn't play because his NBA career is, you know, in store right now like that's what he's I don't know if he's thinking about that right now, yeah, but I mean, I don't blame him if he's like, "You know what? What are we playing for here?" You know? So yeah, I mean, we'll my, see where he My goes. career is in in danger and I'm not going to trust a guy who has failed to put me in in winning positions time after time. So, um I just can't see them doing anything special in New York. You know, I they're the ten seed. Like, I would love to see them do something special. We all would. It but would be a miracle. Xavier part. matchup
2: doesn't seem to be the kind of matchup you want to start this tournament because Xavier did the things to your team that, like, the teams that blew you up did.
3: I think the only chance they would have is if they played a St. John's or Georgetown.
2: All right, or, or a Marquette, or
3: maybe a Marquette, but a even Marquette,
2: Mar- who's a Marquette's or a team that's bleeding out like that.
3: But Marquette's also desperate. They're they're Marquette's also still, still hanging off of the NCAA tournament mm-hmm. hopes. But their desperation and, hasn't really brought them anything. And if we're same. talking about special at Madison Square Garden, Marcus Howard in his senior yeah, year. Yeah, but Marcus Howard
2: Man- can score forty points, yeah. and the rest of the team doesn't do anything. I mean, I, you know, he, he can be
3: special. He's been special in every game this year, really. But the team really has been special in most of their games. But there's something you know. We talk about that special yeah. Marquette. That might just bring it out of them because yeah. they're still fighting for something. If you're not fighting for anything, why do you? I'm not saying why do you yeah. care, but like, mm-hmm. how's that going to bring anything out of you? Because you know DePaul's been in this position, you know, for five years now with Lido, where they go to the Big East tournament and they're really not playing for anything. Mm-hmm. Their NCAA tourno- well, tournament we'll hopes are gone. No NIT hopes. Yeah. Like
1: and watching your team's guy do it on that yeah. stage, like that's how I think the Marcus Howard. Game. Yeah, it's deflating. He's like a per- He's like the, he's the closest. That, well, maybe Miles Powell, but it's like yeah. Miles Powell and uh, and Howard are like the two like Jalen Brunsons of this year. Like, yeah, the two guys that are gonna like capture like the mm-hmm. heart of the conference. The magic, you know, yeah. and the, like and they're, they're playing each other and do and it themselves them. mm-hmm. seemingly, yeah. but then yeah. at the same time elevate their whole team. Yeah, and, well, the Big East
2: that, has always, always kind of had that that edge, that magic to it because you know it's the tournament's in New York, yeah. the mecca, the mecca of basketball. It's like, this tournament's supposed to be made for magic. Kimba Walker, you know? Yep. The, this, this is supposed mm-hmm. to be magical. And can mm-hmm. DePaul bring that magic? Where would that magic come from? Have they brought any of that magic since December?
1: Yeah.
2: I don't think they can. That's the question. Yeah. I mean, I think, the, I think that this, this whole thing, like, DePaul fans should be kind of hopeful for next year just in terms of who's coming back and who were who's coming in maybe just in some kind of way you know it just you just know next year shouldn't be a strategic like a giant drop down in talent and but just it's a common thing just because it's one, you're one year older doesn't mean you're one year better so we'll, like this offense is this off key because if you do bring in a new guy you know you bring in a new head coach if that's something that they go to if that's something they go to and if they don't go to that i think the fans are going to i mean i think nobody's going to be a win trust next year i think just from the start and I think that, like, you've got to they come say up Say that with, every year, though. Yeah. 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 <laughs> these people,
3: like, I don't know. It seems close to I, a breaking point, right? I don't think you can be hopeful with DePaul because as long as either Leto's back or if he's gone and Jeannie's making the decisions, you can't be hopeful because she got it wrong three times. Like, yeah. It's yeah. got to be a clean house.
1: Yeah. DePaul fans need to be the appropriate way to feel right now is just terrified of the unknown <laughs> yeah. right now because there are eight different ways that this could go and seven of those directions are horrible. <laughs> right. um, so, yeah.
0: I think this would be a good transitioning point to the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, well, actually,
1: before we do that, we got to give our picks.
0: Oh, oh yeah. Uh, yeah, that's uh, actually a good idea. Yes.
2: Well, I can start as the lowest one on the ladder. <laughs> I can start. Um, I think that... It's hard for me to not bet on Villanova finding a way to win this tournament. I think Villanova has proven that they can beat, you know, they can beat the Seton Halls. You know, they can beat the, they can beat any team. You know, they've proven that they don't have a team, like a weak spot in terms of someone playing. It. So, you know, as coaching, I trust Jay Wright. Why not trust Jay Wright? I like these guys. Leslie, you know, he's sound, and I think he's going to play like that. You know, I think... They got Sadiq Bey, I think he's going to turn into a real NBA prospect kind of guy. I think that um, it's hard for me to not pick them as my favorite. And then Dark Horse or Runner Up or whatever, there's four well, or five. Dark Horse six. or Runner Up? So it's like, two that's the Do we pick things. Dark Horse or do so we pick a Runner Up? Or do I, I like doing Dark Horse. Yeah, yeah I like dark doing Dark Horse.
3: And, okay. my,
2: my Dark Horse team, I'll, ignore, I'll have to ignore Creighton and Seton Hall. and I'd probably say, I'd probably say, hmm.
3: Like,
1: in my mind dark horse has to be like four seed and below. Four yeah. seed
3: and mm-hmm. below. Yeah. So that'd be like
1: in, in a ten seed format.
2: So that'd be Providence and everyone down. So oh Providence. That's that's gotta be my dark horse. Those guys like they're hitting on all cylinders and Ed Cooley has like yeah, a, going. Ed Cooley has a fire under their butt. Like he is he every time he's on the sideline he's like he's like if that team was a fire, every time he's on the sideline, like he is just stoking the fire. He's just keeping it going and keeping it going yes. and keeping it going. And I trust that team. I trust Pipkins. He's a big time player. They have a couple guys on that team who can really just who can really just get things done. And mm-hmm. I think that they and they've proven that they can beat teams.
1: I want to go on a quick aside here because it's not something I forgot to mention. The thing that I found most striking in the Providence game, Ed Cooley is everything. We wish Lado could yeah. be. Yeah. Like he's he's always standing up. He's loud, he's energetic. Every time you see him talk to a player, that player is completely and totally locked into whatever that guy is saying to him. Like, he's just everything we wish Lado could be, and he's everything that DePaul's athletic department should look to hire yeah. in the future. Because if he was the head coach of this team, we would be, I think, a top three team in the in the Big East easily. Right now, I'd
4: say now. so. I'd say at
2: least
1: top five. I I think that he's <laughs> he's like the perfect kind of guy to draw all that extra juice out of the talent yeah. we have. But um, will I'll we'll go because you're you've been on the beat all year. <laughs> um, I got a second the Villanova pick. Um, I just think that the tournament is or that the league is too is too tight this year, and Jay Wright and Villanova are just like. They're just mm-hmm. the safest bet in any yeah. oh, scenario, and yeah. I think that it really comes down to Jay Wright. I mean, he's got a really Although, young yeah. team right I mean, now. It would
2: almost be perfect for the way the Big East has gone this year for, like, a 5 or 6 seed to win the whole thing, too. Yeah, <laughs>
1: so that that may very well be what happens, but um, I just think that given how relatively even things are, um, I think you've got to give it to the coach, despite how young his team is and how um, undisciplined they've played at times this year, but I just don't see... I'm not buying Seaton Hall as much as them. Like, I just got to give it to Jay Wright more than Villanova. But my dark horse, uh,
3: scorching hot take here. But oh my I'm God. gonna give it. I'm gonna give it to DePaul. Wow!
1: <laughs> I think that it's um, a very scorching hot take. Well, well what, what is the prognosis on Reed right now? Is he's he's just gonna hobble around and probably well, not They keep saying his game have, time decision. We had a source that okay. said game that was
2: 75 on Thursday. Okay,
1: so. If everyone plays at least, healthy or not, fully healthy or not, um, I just think that there's enough anger within the program right now, seemingly. and Hopefully that anger turns into drive and not apathy when they get into Madison Square Garden. But I'm just holding out some kind of hope. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I hope you're right. I would love it. That they will flip some switch and they will, you know, like just duct tape Lado in his hotel room and just not let him come to the garden. And then they're just going to like do it themselves and it's going to be like in 15 years there's going to be a 30-30 documentary about this. Like, when they got to
2: the postseason it was player coach team that I don't was going to it. ESPN might reach out to you or Lawrence or yeah. Shane. Yeah. They, they might reach so. out to him. Get, get you on the call. They're like, why Is was this? ESPN not
1: writing any stories about this team? <laughs> so, gotta go, yeah. True. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to give it to DePaul. Crazy take. But, it would be perfect, and it's possible.
3: I don't Lords. think it's possible. They're I give there. it zero percent chance. They're going to be there. They'll be there. That's, That's only so possible. Have. Favorite? I'm going with Sean Hall. I'm giving it to Miles Powell. He's going to win it. He's going to win. It's his year. It's the best player in the conference. They're going to pull it out at Madison Square Garden. Dark horse? I'm gonna go Butler. I think Kamar Baldwin's got the juice. He's got something special flowing right now and like energy. He's got that kept yeah, well, energy. I he saw feels, step back, last night. Step back oh, winner yeah. against Xavier. He is he might be the most clutch player in the conference. Ahead of Powell, ahead of Howard. So I'm going to give it to Butler. Um I, I just think I wouldn't be surprised if they do They play Marquette in the first in the quarterfinals, so they only have to win three games. I think it's plausible that we see them um in the championship game. But, because I think I just don't think it's gonna the top three seeds. I don't think it'll be Villanova. Scene Hall or Creighton there, so I think we'll see one of them,
1: mm-hmm.
3: but I just can't see the championship games to come out of those top three seats, so I think it'll be Scene Hall versus a Butler or Providence mm-hmm. or like a Marquette. I think we're getting a Villanova-Creighton. I don't know how, I think,
2: my, who's your, I don't, I'll, I'll just, I know we're going to jump into the women in a second, but. Coach of the year of the Big East, Greg McDermott. it has got right. Greg. He, he Greg won the conference.
3: He won the conference. He won the share, conference, share. Three he won a share of the conference. Yeah, three he won the number one seed, though, which means he's yeah.
2: beaten the other two teams at the top. And he's just, you know, he's just done a good job. And he's had Lato's number. He's had, he has Lato's number. He's said just about everybody's number. I mean, he just, he just knows what he's doing down at great, and they're playing a very beautiful, yeah. fun way, fun basketball. Mm-hmm. And they've gotten to a point where they're – Looking like not only one of they not only the number one seed in the biggest tournament they're going to be a number two seed in the NCAA tournament. Have a good chance. Well. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: We're going to have two number two seeds.
0: Is it my turn to pick? It's your turn. It's your right? turn to pick, well, right? I'd say probably my favorite, and this has nothing to do with basketball, is Butler. Wow. And I'm basing my sole reasoning off this for when we went to the game last Saturday and saw the changing of the collar for the two dogs. The <laughs> uh, Butler Blue the third was retired and they gave it to Butler Blue the Fourth, like the six-month-old uh, Bulldog. Bulldog that they just raised up like he was Simba. And I <laughs> took as many photos as I would during like the first half of a basketball game. And I'm basing my reasoning none other than that <laughs> okay, reason. Okay, that's already. not a bad reasoning. That's not a bad reasoning. But <laughs> if I had to pick a dark horse based off of what I saw the other night, it would be Providence. Because I really like what Ed Cooley's doing. He looks like he's got a fire just like lit under his ass right now just to get stuff done. And I really like that about him. Mm-hmm. So that's all that I have to say about it. But I think this would be a good transitioning point to the Big East tournament for the women. So we were there yesterday. We're right in the middle of it right now during the semifinals. We saw them win against Providence, ironically, mm-hmm. 97 to 59. And um, about. Oh, roughly five hours. They will play against Seton Hall, who beat uh, St. John's. No, I'm sorry. They didn't beat St. John's. They beat Butler. They beat Butler. Your team. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and the other game is Marquette against St. John's, which will happen right after our game tonight. Mm-hmm. And then Please. the winner, winner of those two games will play in the finals on Monday. At 7 p.m. And we know we've seen just, we saw them lose two consecutive games for the end of their regular season. But they seemed to turn it around last night against just a statement mm-hmm. victory that they've think? been they've been wanting oh, to yeah. get. So what can we expect from today and hopefully possibly tomorrow?
2: Well, I'm really excited as you could tell from me interjecting all the time. <laughs> I am super excited about this team. Me the too. way that they did this thing. It was it was crazy. The way that they came out and they did this thing, they are so locked in. They, and really are. they even in the post game presser you could see it. Like they weren't, they weren't acknowledging anything. Usually, Bruno, you know, he, he sits back, he makes some jokes, you know, he he talks through the, you know, he talks through the game. He he was all business. Everybody, all professional, all business. They were out there, they were doing their thing. They were having fun. They were out there having fun. Really but at the play. same time, you know, they were, they were all business. I'd be terrified to play. Them. I would be too. I'd be terrified. And this Seton Hall team was a team they have beaten twice already. But the thing about the Seton Hall team was that they score the basketball. This these these two semifinal games tonight. Are going to be just electric. I'm talking about the the complete opposite of all kinds of Big Ten basketball. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fun, electric, athletic. It's going to be exciting. I'm going to be. I'm going to tell you this. These <laughs> like, these have to be like the top four. Like, You're way too are, excited right now. These are four of the top. Like these are four amazing offenses. Great guard play. Great play in the as well as great play in the front court. Um, I mean, this is. These are all the. I mean, these are all the great players. I mean, of course, we lost. You know, we lost Jalen Agnew and Kristen Spoliar, who are two of the most exciting players. They were teams Creighton, and Butler. They lost, but we're looking at the four. These are the four best teams. You know, as much as I love Cinderella stories, when you have the four best teams in the semifinals of the conference, and they are the time, top four seeds, and it's time too. to duke it out amongst all of them, go for it. I think you go go for it. Make it crazy. I mm-hmm. think it's going to be a lot of fun at Wintrust, especially because. Yesterday was about four, kind of, they weren't all blowouts, but they were, you know, they were all comfortable games. Mm -hmm. And so tonight would be so much fun have some close ones.
1: Yeah, I wish I was out there with you guys a little bit, because in my experience, the Women's Big East Tournament is, especially, I suppose, if you're a DePaul fan, is is so much fun, because you get to see, and just, first of all, watching women's basketball, you just see, like, a much more intricate style of basketball, because mm-hmm. there is no above-the-rim kind of nonsense. It's much tighter and like, you know, running offensive plays. And, like, it's just – it is. It's it's a much more – if you're really a basketball nerd, like, it's a much more compelling version of that. Um, and then I would also not want to play Bruno right now, especially coming off, like, a rough end of their regular season yeah. dropping, like, two straight games like that. That guy wants to <laughs> – Walk out with a victory in this tournament, um, and DePaul has played really, really well in the Big East tournament. They always get there, and they almost always get it done. The last time they didn't get it done is when they walked into a buzzsaw Marquette team that was just uh, too much to handle. And they I mean—they were like a, I think that year they got to like eight in the country or something. That was like a really, really good Marquette team. But Bruno owns this conference. That team knows it, um, and they're gonna—they're just. Far and away, the the team to beat
3: right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it should be an exciting game spe- tonight, especially against Saint Hall. But if if it's DePaul Marquette again, I mean Marquette Marquette beat them last week, so they've got the momentum against DePaul, and they're they're playing. They have all the momentum right now more than DePaul because DePaul lost two of their last regular season games. um You know they obviously destroyed Providence yesterday, but still, you know. That Marquette, the way they're playing right now, if they get to the final, I don't think it would be easy at all. Even though they don't have the same talents as they did last year, but I don't know. I'm not. Last year, I was, for some reason, I was more confident, and then winning, even though Marquette was better actually than Nepal. Um, this year, uh, you know, if the shots aren't falling, they still have the tendency of, you know, of losing. So I think uh, I still think they'll win it. I still think they're the best team in the conference, um, but. You know, I I I, just, I wouldn't go and say it's a for sure thing right now. I think they'll get past Ian Hall for sure tonight. Uh, because I I don't think the Pirates have enough talent enough fire firing power from the perimeter to contain DePaul. But man, Marquette, they have if if Marquette's able to rebound, they're able to attack inside, um, they'll create some havoc for DePaul. And it's not gonna be an easy game for Doug for Doug Bruno. I, I just think Probably we need to now. get through these next two days. If, if they can win the championship, it's a top-four seed. That's what we're playing for right now. It's not... Four. The Big East Tournament is great and everything, right? But we're, we're, the, we're thinking of bigger that, things yeah. right now.
2: I mean, if you take care of the Big East Tournament, you're going you know, like to... The cards will fall in place, yeah, and they be will top be four. a top-four seed in the NCAA Tournament. At some point, and they're going to host the first two rounds. So it means that they're going to play their most meaningful games of the season to the, to the end of that, to this date, at Winchester Arena to close the season. That would be big for them, I think. But I think you we're know, looking at tonight's matchup. I don't think you can overlook it a little bit just because of how Seton Hall has been able to, you know, push teams inside. And you know, the reason why I think the last time DePaul faced Seton Hall and lost was January of 2019, and they, DePaul was out rebounded 34 to 20. And you know, Bruno says it, you know, winning games, winning tight games, comes down to defensive rebounding. He says yeah. it's defensive rebounding. You know, that they can, if they can kind of, if they can get their boards, if they can take care of what they need to take care of. On that part of the end, the cards will fall in place because you look at the metrics and they're going to look like a terrible defensive team. Mm-hmm. But they they know that the metrics say that they're a bad mm-hmm. defensive team. They don't you know they don't mind that you know if they if a team scores eighty on them, it's because they've scored ninety five already. Yeah, it's like it's got to get to that point tonight though. That works in the Big East though. It doesn't work so in that. It works tournament. in the Big East. It might not work in the NCAA tournament depending on the team that you're playing. Um, but the the Big East has been very guard heavy this year, and I know that might be. And that's also a reason why you know some of the taller players on the team haven't really been playing as much. You know, Dalman had to miss miss the first what eight ten weeks of the season. wasn't able to really play. Um, I think that Dalman's going to be big for them in the NCAA tournament. And the thing about postseason basketball is weird because the rotations tighten up so much. You know, if you're if you're an eight person rotation, you go down to seven. You're nine. You go down to eight. It's things like things like that. You know, if a game's tight, if the game's tight today. If the game's tight tomorrow, if the game's tight for the rest of the season, Kelly Campbell, Shante Stonewall, they're going to play 40 minutes. They're going to play 40 minutes each. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to play. The, you know, Deja Church, she's going to be on the court as much as they need her to. Deepa Kelch is going to come off the bench, and she's going to provide as many minutes as she needs to. This team, this team needs to find their. They, this team, not not find it. They need to. They just need to keep keep in touch with themselves because they know when they play when they're playing their best basketball. There's not many teams in the country that can beat them. Only 14 teams won 25 games this year. They are one of the 14 teams. They can do. They can, they've proven that they can do it in this Big East tournament. They got. They got business to take care of tonight against Seton Hall, who just made a great Butler team look like they came off the streets not yesterday. Like that Seton Hall team on offense was scary. You know, we usually say teams aren't going to beat DePaul by out by out them, but this there are some teams in the Big East that can hang with DePaul shot for shot.
1: One of the things we talked about early in the season, when we were projecting toward the Big East tournament, is uh, the, the way that Bruno rosters his team, and it's always extremely guard heavy. Mm-hmm. But he always has bigger guards. He doesn't have like the Daniel King on uh, Marquette. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, like the, and then I always forget her name, but Seton Hall and St. John's both had a point guard, but they, and they were like they're like five two or smaller. We have all these like five six yeah. girls that are like guards, yeah. and so we have some of that size, but we're la- we're always lacking that kind of internal yeah. size. Like Shanti Stonewall is great and really aggressive on the boards, but she's not as big as some of the other girls a lot of the time, and so she gets beat down there. And that's why they yeah, don't. That's why like they find ways a yeah. defensive team and this great a rebound team. So good. But the other question mark, as you alluded to, is can they make the amount of shots because they're a volume yeah. team, and that's what makes them both so impossible to keep up with mm-hmm. in postseason play and a yeah. risk to lose in postseason play, because as soon as, as soon as they have that one cold quarter, one cold half, yeah. and, things yeah. change, and it's really hard for them to pick up because they can't really lean on the defense and the rebounding to mm-hmm. like put a stop to that. Um, so yeah. they really need to just take the volume and yeah. really push yeah. that the pressure thing, on yeah. them and, the and try and break year,
2: the other team. The thing about pressure. this year is that there have been a lot of stretches where things like that haven't happened. They've been missing consistently. They've been missing a bunch of shots for, like, a whole quarter. They'll go on a seven-minute spell. But in those seven-minute spell in a lot of games this year, if they've, had a, if they've had a spell like that, which hasn't been too frequent, especially at the beginning of the year. They've been able to hold the other team to, to, where, to where they need them to be. They, they haven't let a lot of teams, you know, blow the doors off them whenever they get a chance. They they usually, they've been hanging around in games. And the games that they have lost this year, I think, were not necessarily about um, little stretches. It was about, like, an entire 40 minutes of, oh, what like, what the hell is happening at this point, some point. At some point, it just becomes absurd how many shots aren't going in. And they're open shots. You know, they a lot of the times when they're missing a lot of shots, they're missing open shots that just spin out the wrong way. It's like a, it's like a regression to the mean. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah.
2: It's like a regression to the mean. I think that they're going to find, they're going to find their, their, their stride. They can find that stride. They can win tonight and Marquette. I mean, it's just hard for me. You know, I think if they win tonight, that Marquette game is going to have so much riding on it. But I think that Shantae Stonewall, Kelly Campbell are going to show, they're going to show up and they're going to, they're going to go hard. They're gonna play. They're gonna play. I think if they get that chance, they get that chance against Marquette. Because St. John's still beat Marquette. I can still see that happening. But if they get that chance against Marquette, like that's got that's the game. That's game mm-hmm. of the season. Like they're gonna they're gonna approach that game like it's the last game they're ever gonna play. Yeah. They're gonna come at that game with so much energy, so much enthusiasm. That's why I think if they can win tonight, and if they can win tonight by a good chunk, you know, get Campbell and Stolwos some rest. Like they, they that that could be nice. If they don't have to play a full forty minutes tonight. That'd be nice. But it's just the rotations is happening. Sometimes. And if they win this
1: week, uh, that'll be three in a row, correct? Yeah, yeah. Right? Um, And, yeah, I and think – They'll uh, get a couple weeks off. Yeah, I think that Bruno always is providing most of the fire. Anyone who's ever talked yeah. to him knows that. But I think that Kelly and Shante, having been here as um, as freshmen for that loss against Marquette, mm-hmm. um, in Marquette, like yeah. the old venue – and then ripping off three straight to close out their time here, I think they they have to be really, really hungry to do that. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. Same time, I wouldn't a-
1: want two other players to go into mm-hmm. a tournament with that kind of hunger because they're also like two of the most disciplined and consistent players, mm-hmm. um, and that's what you want. And you have your,
2: your most disciplined
1: yeah. player that also has the biggest belly of fire. Mm-hmm. That's the perfect. And something
2: into. that excites me at this team is that if you know if Stonewall and Campbell have uncharacteristic games. You know, you got players who could who could drop twenty five, thirty points if they need to. But at the same time, you know, everybody's so bought into this philosophy. And I think that they can cause there's some teams that can handle the press and some teams can't handle the press. The teams that can handle the press to a certain extent get a lot of open layups and they can find those open layups. But teams that can't, they get ran over. I'm talking like fifteen turnovers Mm -hmm. before the first half's over. Mm -hmm. They a team like, Seton Hall can't, like, if they want to win tonight, they're going to have to be play the most sound, like, you have to play sound, disciplined against any kind of press in basketball. You have to make the right pass and the right angle every time. You can't get fl- you can't get flustered, because that's what this DePaul team does. They fluster people. They're up in their face. Their hands are in their face. You can't go two seconds without getting touched. And... I think that it's also weird because sometimes they have to, Sometimes refs will call little fouls on them while they're pressing, and those start to eat up, and they'll start to kill them. But I think that if they play that disciplined press, it takes a lot
0: out of a team to beat that. Yeah. Lawrence, any final thoughts?
3: No, I agree with the guys. That I'm excited for, for these next two nights. Well, I'm, I'm guaranteeing
0: that they'll be playing tomorrow, so that's why I'm <laughs> excited for the next two nights. And so are we, especially Nate. He's really excited. Yeah. Really excited, man. Really excited. Anyways. So picks. Picks.
3: I think DePaul will... DePaul. Yeah. I I'm think to look
2: at DePaul Marquette and I think we're gonna tight game DePaul versus Marquette. I think mm-hmm. we're getting like a I think we're gonna I think we might end up going down with the buzzer again.
3: Maybe right. OT. Mm.
1: So two in God I hope not. So uh, in
3: favorite my heart. dark horses? I'm gonna say St. John's out of the four, obviously DePaul's not a dark horse, so out of the three, uh, St. John's uh, I guess will be would be the dark horse. Um mm-hmm. I they were actually picked as the second by the coaches. Uh, preseason poll to finish second in the conference so this team had a lot of expectations they finished third mm-hmm. so it's not like they didn't yeah, fulfill I mean, expectations DePaul
2: had to put up a 16 point comeback yeah. against the last time they played st john's it's so. this is not an easy team
3: to push over yeah. marquette beat them twice this year by a, a decent amount and in the interesting games, thing is but. last year when they when de paul marquette played in the finals both were already locked in the say tournament and marquette's kind of a lock anyways this year but it, let's say it's a st john's versus DePaul. St. John's is not a lock for the NCAA tournament, so they're, if they win, they're obviously in automatically. So that game for them means just as much as it means for DePaul. Um, so I, I think that game could be scary as well for for the Blue Demons.
1: You guys both going to see
2: St. John's then? I'm gonna go with the I'm gonna go with the I'm gonna go with the St. John's pick. I think that yeah. they I don't I think I like Seton Hall, but I think my dark horse is gonna have to be St. John's. Yeah.
1: All right. I'm going to go with Seton Hall with my dark horse just because I think that in order to, for them to win, they have to pick off the Paul tonight. Yeah. And I think that a team that picks off the Paul at this point is just going to have
3: that extra energy. little yep.
1: energy, that yeah. extra bit of confidence um, is going to push them over the edge. Yeah, so yeah. I'm going with Seton Hall as my uh, dark horse. But it's really predetermined. <laughs> yeah. Predetermined. yeah. When, you beat, <laughs> when you
2: beat the one seed, you take on the responsibility of being the one, one, one seed. <laughs>
0: So, exactly. All right. I'm also gonna go with St. John's on that. There bit. we go. Mm-hmm. All right. And now Andrew Hattersley.
1: All right, and welcome to a special little bit that we're gonna to do today. We've got Andrew Hattersley, former DePaulia sports letter. Uh, a sports editor with us. How you doing?
4: So excited! You just had to, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't say the words. I know. Yeah, I know, you know exactly. I know.
1: It's always good to see you. Um, yeah, good to be here. Yeah, uh, Andrew. For anyone who doesn't know, uh, was our sports editor for most of last year, uh, and mm-hmm. before that, he was uh, the assistant sports editor while I was on the sports desk. So, Andrew and I have worked very closely on the Paul yeah. Basketball stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the <laughs> the troopers who have st- stuck through the miserable, miserable era of uh, Dave Leto. Um, At least I got current- a
4: CBI run. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You,
1: you did catch uh, a little bit of a CBI run. First sports editor since 2007 yeah. to be on the desk for a postseason um, appearance, which uh-huh. is awesome. Uh-huh. Currently, a uh, staff writer... 24-7 covering yeah. um, Texas A&M. Correct. How's all, all that been going
4: for It's been wonderful. Like, I'm down in Texas. Um, for those that don't know, I actually went to undergrad in Texas, so it's been nice to kind of be back down there, um, hopping around, back doing the recruiting scene, which is uh, a lot of fun, bouncing around at different high schools, catching some high school basketball games, high school football games, catching a little Texas A&M basketball, kind of learning the SEC side of the world, so it's it's been a lot of fun, actually, kind of a whirlwind.
1: Covering football recruiting in Texas is like, yeah. that is just a goldmine. I yeah. mean, what has what that been like? What is the, the that high school to college uh, football culture like?
4: You know, it's been crazy. I mean, you think about it, um, for them, it almost is like college football. I mean, you, even from a journalistic side of things, you submit press credentials exactly like you would mm. for... A college game um, and I think when my eyes were open a little bit was um, within the first month I had to go to East Texas which is kind of like it's actually known in Texas as Beast Texas because mm. that's where all the kids kind of yeah, that's where right. every school I saw Lovie Smith down there that's where all the coaches trying to get into mm. and I um, showed up and I, I didn't know you know what to expect yet and there's cars parked in the woods, and oh, there's cars yeah. parked in, like, the other side of the woods. And I was like, this is, like, your Friday night's light moments where yeah, everybody comes down to... And what's cool about this is the high school coaches there kind of take care of us very well. And so a lot of times we're down on the track, oh, down man. on the field, and so you can That's kind of nice. look up yeah. and, and see they have a band at every game, um, going to AT&T Stadium to cover the... State oh, championships yeah. was oh, crazy. That wasn't awesome. a bad deal. And that get, press box was full too. Yeah, right? I get to go they, down
2: there in May. My dad has like won some tour for the ATT Stadium. I'm so oh, excited. It's a true to to it.
4: And that's the amazing part too. The Ford Center where they where in, the Frisco, right? in Frisco is just as nice as Yeah. <laughs> they host playoff games there too. Um, and you you talk to these kids and I mean there's they're they're great. I mean they're they're under um, I mean, to truly put it in another perspective, the kid that's going to Texas A&M now, I asked him, how do you deal with the pressure? You know, is there some pressure off you now that you're committed and you're off to a big school? And he goes, not really, because I play in front of this every Friday. He turned up to the ground. He was right. I mean, they play in front of a couple thousand people. and It's cool to kind of see how every...
1: They're drawing bigger crowds than not to... You know, take a cheap shot at DePaul, but like the environment's better than it is. Honestly, for a they team a like couple. They get a
4: couple, couple like a thousand people in, in the stadiums. I think I, texted Shane actually one of the one of the playoff games that I truly kind of got the sense of what it was on a Saturday afternoon. It took me forty five minutes to get into the game and park. Yeah, oh, to go yeah. to the game. Mm-hmm. I, and I,
1: to watch yeah. a bunch of 17-year-olds Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, yeah. I have a question. Um, What's the process like in terms of what games you go cover? Is it people who you already know Texas A&M looking at, or is it just any kind of top prospect?
4: Yeah, I think you have your list of players that, um, I mean, to give you an example, they, last year there was a, um, and this is one of the best moments I've had so far too, was uh there was an official visit weekend against Alabama. So then you kind of look to the next week and you're like, okay, what games in the area that can I get to? And one of them was EJ Smith, which is Emmett Smith's son. Oh yeah. And so I kind of knew like, okay, on the Friday night, I'm going to go see him on the Saturday night. I'll go see this kid next Thursday. I'll go see him. And you just kind of look at the schedule and see, um, where you can kind of catch. And you try to catch all the kids you can. Mm -hmm. Um, Kids that may have offers, kids you may need to check in with. Um, my guys in East Texas, I try to go down there as much as possible because that's a different environment. But, I mean, you you do get kind of that, that side of it is if a kid's got an offer, you know you need to catch up with them. Or you kind of start to by football season, you kind of know, okay, they've got five spots left and you kind of have a vision of which kids. This early signing day has changed everything that kids are making decisions way earlier now that you kind of know mm-hmm. prior to the season um, almost yeah because i try not to you know you don't want to be hitting a bunch of kids up on social media every yeah. single day if you can go see them in person and get to know them mm-hmm. that's way better than
1: get flags of pedophile pretty sure. yeah pretty much like,
4: <laughs> so okay. how, are,
2: how are those games spread out is it thursday nights friday nights saturday nights yeah. generally okay i know because yeah. Around, around here at least everything's on Friday night so if you want to see someone you can only see one game a week so I guess you kind of yeah, yeah. spread yourself out there you, right?
4: You can you can do Thursday night you can do one game Thursday night's usually if if I was going to do a long trip um, Friday night would usually be the night that I would do the long trip I'd go down in the morning mm-hmm. and kind of be there for the day um, and then Saturday I also help on the Texas A&M football coverage mm. so whether I can make it to games there depends on when mm. Gotcha um And then on the Sunday, you're right back into it on trying to catch up with kids from the weekend Mm. to get through the week. So it all kind of flows through. I mean, recruiting, I think you gain a perspective for these coaches, too, because I was talking to one of them, and I ran into him at one of the games, and I said, you know, you guys play at 11 tomorrow, and he's like, I know, I'll get home tonight, I'll get home at around two, yeah. and you gain a perspective, I mean, they'll be up at 6, 7 a.m. in the morning, and right back at it, yeah. so. the mm-hmm. recruiting
1: just, into things is really, that's the whole job a lot of the time. It is. It's mean, really the heart and soul of a college job. It
4: is, it is, but you, you you, you, look at those coaches, I mean, that's this is kind of like, I, it was kind of funny when we got to National Signing Day. Texas A and M Jimbo Fisher when he finished the press conference, there's a dead period right after that. Mm -hmm. It lasts until today, and he took a second, and you just kind of sat there for a second after the press conference because you think like this is the first time they could sit there and be like, all right, deep breath, because it goes from bowl season to signing day to yeah, straight into it. But Mm -hmm. these these kids are great. I mean, it's it's good exposure for them. The coaches are pre. Most of the coaches appreciated it. and you get to see a lot of great games. I mean, I got to see one that, you know, a kid. I'll just go ahead and say he faked an injury. It was very clear. <laughs> really, they rewound the clock to give him two seconds left on the clock, and they tied the game. Wow! And then went for two to go for the win, and they slipped right through the kid's hands Oof. on the end zone.
2: Jeez, what's the tough. what's the fan culture like? Are they hard on the Are they hard on players like that? You know, I no, mean, they're pretty passionate. Is, yeah. I mean,
4: they're 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 passionate. It's a lot of the high school kids that mm-hmm. go to games. I mean. You get a lot of the parents from the community that come. Uh, I wouldn't say they're hard on their players. I would say, you know, it's pretty. it, get, it can get competitive between the two fan sections. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's it's great. And then you get the band involved, too, and you get the and It really feels like you're kind yeah. of at a huge game. Every game you go to feels like a massive game. really get
1: a sense of that um, connection to their institutions. You know? Yeah. Um, all right, let's transition over to all <laughs> basketball. Yeah. Um, you as we mentioned at the top, you saw the CBI last year. We yeah. were on the desk covering that it was a kind of a turning point it was, but it was really up in the air, you know, like we all knew that Leda was kind of entering but looked like could be his last year. Coming out of last year when you were walking away from the sports desk, what were your expectations for them this year and um, how have those panned out?
4: Um, I thought it would really be a springboard. I thought last year, well, I had my concerns about last year if they didn't make a run last year, and I I actually wrote a story about this Mm -hmm. back in the basketball preview last year that losing Max Struess and Eli Kane, I thought was going to be like such generational players that losing them was going to be kind of a tough moment to build on. Now getting Charlie Moore in and kind of the depth that they built, I think really helped with that. Uh, but if you left last year with a lot of optimism thinking, okay, these kids have a lot of confidence. I, I mean, we, we thought about the run that Devin Gage went on at the end of the CBI. You thought, okay, you know, he really looks like he's getting a lot of confidence. Paul Reed looked like he was about to really take off and go. Um, so you thought there was a lot to build on, and you thought the Big East was kind of in a, a, a spot to at least, begettable. Mm, uh, yeah. Then they started, obviously, 12-1, and 1, and you've got everybody's. Mm-hmm. I had people coming to me in Texas saying, wow, I like DePaul, like, oh, like you're going to make the NCAA tournament this year. This is going to be the yep. year. And you kind of felt like yeah. the buzz. Um, and by that point, I thought, here's the thing. I thought they had a formula in place at the end of non-conference that they could kind of go to and depend on. And somewhere along the line, that's kind of got lost.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
4: I thought they had a nice connection with Charlie Moore and Paul Reed, Jalen Coleman-Lands kind of along, as kind of providing the perimeter shooting. And they've kind of, along the way, that formula—that was what I was looking for last year. was kind of a mm-hmm. formula that you could go to on every single game and know this is what we had going on yeah. that teams had to scout for. Yeah. And somewhere along the line, that's kind of got lost.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, the, their first couple of losses in conference breaks its not like they were getting blown out by twenty as soon yeah. as they stepped foot in the Big East. Like, it was heartbreakers. Like, they were up by five with three minutes left against four or three minutes left against Seton Hall. They lost on a stupid free throw at the end of the game against Providence, and like with less than a second left on the clock, they lost in overtime to Villanova. I mean, I think that. They kind of that's kind of where they collapsed, and then they started getting beat by twenty, yeah. and then it was like, okay, this Absolutely. is over.
4: Well, that's part of it too. Is I think you you had such, and it it brings me back to a quote from Dave Plato that he said after the CBI run last year, where we asked him kind of where is the next step or like how do you take the next step, and he said it's about handling success, and that programs like your Villanovas and your your butlers and your, your your kind of marquee programs can handle success on every single day. And I think you made the, the comparison that if I told you you were going to be like the number one pick in the draft and you went super hard every single day and you gave your absolute best, that they do that without being prompted yeah. to mm. be the number one pick. Somewhere along the line, like that winning formula of being like successful every single, and winning every single day has... That's the part I think they're still looking for, and I think mm-hmm. going from such a high, it's so it's so tough because you bring up those first couple of losses at the beginning of conference play. I think that is tough to recover from because, mm-hmm. just like everybody out. else thought, okay, we're we're you know you kind of had the whole city buzzing, mm-hmm. being twelve and one, there was the hashtag ranked Paul mm-hmm. buzzing everyone Twitter and all that.
1: I, mean, I, got, I went heavy on some yeah. of those tweets, For,
4: and, uh, and boy, mm-hmm. do I regret it. <laughs> then, then you start losing a couple of games, and the, you know people start pressing a little bit, and you start trying to be the person mm-hmm. that... Yeah. Because yeah. well,
2: then you, you don't trust the system anymore after you lose a couple of games. That system yeah. might work, but it doesn't work three straight games, and then suddenly you're not thinking about that. And I think my favorite quote, not favorite, but quote of the season to me is when Leto said, this is, what's going on in front of you is more about life than it is about basketball and yeah. I feel like that's his kind of philosophy he thinks he doesn't strictly think basketball when he's thinking about coaching and strictly think X's and O's when he's thinking about coaching he has all these different ideas that work for him that might not work for players or yeah. it definitely doesn't work for the fans but it maybe sometimes is a hit or miss with the players too. Yeah. Yeah. You know I've always
1: thought that Lado some of the things that he says after games are he just seems like he's always reaching into the, just scraping at the bottom yeah. of the barrel for sports <laughs> cliches because he's always in such a bad position in the press conferences. Yeah. Like, say anything, but I do agree that that is kind of a, that is a quote that I think was much more believable this year. Just considering how high the highs were, how low the lows have been, yeah. just how manic the season has been. I do think that this whole like, it's about it's about the life. Um, it's the lesson. Pretty- the life lessons, not necessarily the basketball it's- lessons.
4: It's being part of like kind of a remark. and I think there's there's got to be an element of just being shell shocked mm-hmm. and being a little surprised because you're, I mean, again, you kind of thought, okay, we're twelve and one, we can start looking at the tournament. Now suddenly we're two and fourteen, yeah. It's two and fourteen, and you're like, where did this season go? It just happened like this. Like conference play started less than two months ago, mm-hmm. and to go from that, I think it's kind of just it's a little jarring for the players because. It's kind of having that feeling like you made it before you actually did make it. And yeah. that's the tough part. And it, it wasn't that they played badly at first. I mean, mm-hmm. the games that they lost at the beginning of conference play were tough. A bounce here, a bounce there. You start 2-2, two and two, you're 3-2, mm-hmm. and, and suddenly the mindset yeah. changes. Um, I thought they were in trouble when they had to go on the road trip to Villanova. Yep. I think it was 2 Villanova, 2 St. John's. Mm-hmm. And then there was, I think, what was the other one? It oh, was 2
2: it was, um, it was, it was like
4: a to Providence. Providence, yeah, it was yeah. Providence. Like, and you kind of thought that's a tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a tough road trip.
1: For sure, I, I want to dig yeah. in specifically. on your thoughts about Lado? Yeah, you've been really. Um, I mean, you've really dug into the world of coaches and recruiting, uh, and we've talked a lot on this podcast about there are two there are two faces for every coach. There's yeah. the recruiter and programmed builder. And then there's the, the, the floor manager, the guy yeah. who's actually coaching games and coaching practices and developing his players and you know, executing the chess match that's, out, that's going on out there. Yeah. Um, wh- how do you evaluate Lado on those two ends? I'd like you to start with recruiting and then what are your thoughts on him and the game management of
4: things? Recruiting, I think he deserves a lot of credit because I think the pieces that he's brought in have been remarked. I mean, bringing in a Romeo Weems, bringing in, you know, Paul Reed, the way he's kind of blossomed, getting Charlie Moore. Well, and, um, and
1: on that, just briefly on the yeah. point of Paul Reed, is he – I mean, we brought Paul Reed in. He didn't have wildly high expectations. I think Kansas
4: him. State was the other – Yeah, exactly. That,
1: so, like, like, he – those are pretty relatively easy on the recruiting front but the development yeah. thing um, yeah does do you is that factor in something you put more in the recruiting basket or is that something you put more in the, the game player manager I basket?
4: think I think that's like kind of I think that's kind of for him yeah. specifically having a vision of where he can become and I think a lot of credit goes to Paul Reed too and like what he did even when we talked to Lado. the end of his freshman year he talked about paul reed was kind of a guy that was starting to get it and working really hard mm-hmm. um i think your credit goes to identifying somebody who is going to make that jump a lot of times it's projecting where kids are going to go because you can watch a lot see of, the
1: grit, see the drive of the guy.
4: yeah you can watch a lot of kids in high school and you watch them at these games and you're kind of looking for the intangible parts when you talk to the coaches like you know, where what does this kid do well? And, like, I mean, I was even talking to a coach last week, and a couple of weeks ago, and he said, you know, my player has, like, a unique vision for what he, like, sees. I think it's, like, identifying those sorts of things. He identified it with Paul Reed that, you know, he has this unique ability to kind of get open and be around the rim and be around the offensive rebounding glass. He just has, like, a basketball sense to him. I thought Jalen Butts was a very good... Mm-hmm. as, like, a defensive guy, and kind of... I thought there was kind of a... You could kind of see the road map start to get it, that you had a good point guard, you had some outside shooting mm-hmm. with Jalen coleman Lands, you had Paul Reed and Jalen Butts, and you'd be like, okay, you can start to see, like what he was mm-hmm. kind of envisioning. It took a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Recruiting-wise, I mean, you get, you give him credit for a guy like Romeo Weems. Next year with Ahmad Bynum, mm-hmm. well, and he's one of the top. Deval well, Weems, As- he had to go
2: toe-to-toe with Lizzo. Yeah, Lizzo was yeah. all over Weems for so long.
4: So ago. recruiting, I think he's done great. I mean, there's kids on the team that are a big, big lands. Yeah. But once you get him here, then there's another part to it, too. And I think that's the part that you've seen guys kind of... Over the course of the year, when it gets to conference play, regress, mm. and I think that's the problematic part is being able to put him in a situation to succeed is the second part of it, and I think that's where he's kind of struggled, especially late in games. We've seen this team lose so many late, late yeah. games, and I, I, I think that falls on coaching and being able to you know design plays and design moments where you you know put your players in a position to succeed and it's just never for some reason it's never come for them. Yeah. Um, and I mean I I think that part that part will be the part that you look back at later and you say that's the disappointing part. There's a good part, there's a really good part that built a lot of optimism, but then there's the part that's held them back. And I think I think after five years, you also, you, you have to at least, this off season. I mean, I've, I don't looking where his contract is, I mean, you have to at least be aware of what might be out on the market, and sure. um, I think this program needs like a jolt of energy. The next coach needs to have like a jolt of energy that can start to, I mean, just from my experience covering Texas A&M, they're not, they're 500 right now, they're in the same places. Mm-hmm. Paul is, but Buzz Williams brings so much energy and so much enthusiasm to the program that he's given that program such a ju- like a it's bolt life. of energy mm-hmm. that people can be okay with a 500 season because they're like, God, I see my coach having to change into a long sleeve shirt at halftime because he sweated so through so it because so <laughs> <laughs> he's like just putting so much into it, yeah. um, and I think that's kind of what this program needs. It's just like a jolt, it'll get the fans excited. It'll get. The student's excited. I think that's kind of the next... Do, do you
1: think that the energy thing is one of the big problems? Because one of the things I've always noticed about Ledo and always been kind of confused yeah. by is how low energy he is. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes he's shouting out there, but oftentimes it's, you know, it's very kind of aimless shouting, just mm-hmm. lots of clapping. So, um, yeah,
2: well, something I noticed is that he'll see something go wrong, and he'll be watching it, and instead of, um, instead of like, yelling, like, hey, you can't... He'll just... Like look to he'll just like look to the side and be like okay didn't work next play like it's yeah. not like a it's like he's active. still trying to figure it out too yeah, yeah. So like sometimes like sometimes and, it's, and like really good coaches are usually kind of jerks on the sideline like I was watching yeah. Jay Wright yesterday. He's such a jerk on the sidelines. Over like, out oh, there he's in the refs ear every time a call goes wrong. Yeah. He's up and just jump. He's running from like baseline. He's running up yeah. and down like the the sideline and we don't really get that and with And I
4: I I've even seen it from later at times and I I thought that, that I'm like that's that's what I like to see. Um, yeah. against Texas Tech he was like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And against Minnesota. Look that he, out. <laughs> yeah, and against Minnesota I thought he kind of had that mm. that juice and I um, but I think the other part to that is that's kind of his coaching style. And you you can't change somebody who's coaching style. He has to do what he believes is successful. Um, and if it's not him, you've you got to be true to who you are. And if you're kind of calm and cool and collected, um, mm-hmm. you always say when you, when you make a coaching change, you look at opposites. So now that you've had this, now you look at a guy who's yeah. going to bring... That life and that almost seems to work. So
1: we'll we'll kind of close on this then. Yeah. It seems all but certain at this point that there's it's becoming harder and harder to imagine a way that Jeannie can justify extending his contract mm-hmm. as hard yeah. it has as as hard it has as hard as it has always been yeah. to imagine those things. But still it seems like she's really can't extend it at this point yeah mm-hmm. um, what do you do you have any thoughts on options moving forward we've seen Beeline thrown out there I've heard some of Smart Talk a little bit yeah. I've heard um, Patino Patino which I yeah. am a huge huge supporter of by the way we can get into that in another podcast yeah Um or uh, the other one is Jeff Goodman threw out Porter Moser, just kind of assumed Porter Moser yeah. was the leading man there. I don't know how legit that is, considering he just signed a big contract with yeah. Um But do you have any thoughts on what may be to come? If you were Jeannie, what would you advise her to do?
4: Yeah, I think, and I I actually, I do I do like Leto as a person. I do think he's a good man. Yeah. Um, just sometimes it's, it's time for a change and a time for a new blood and you... New coaches I, don't really
2: stay around for longer than five um, years most of the time. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like it's like, I think... Yeah.
4: And here's the, interesting, here's the interesting part is when it gets to Shaka Smart, he's, he's had almost the same sort of Lato tenures as He's had a very talented recruiting. They've got a lot of talent on that team, and so they haven't really ever developed it in the way that... Um, the way that... She, Talent should be developed. I mean, but they've made it to the tournament two times. Yeah. Just Texas's expectations are mm. higher. So I think that is one thing to consider is I think mm-hmm. he would – I don't think he'd be a terrible hire, to be honest with you. I think he would kind of bring that jolt of energy. Um, mm. You'd kind of get a new style in the big you bring that full-court press. And he's a very good recruiter. I mean, even now, they had a game that last week – they were like a couple hundred people in the, in the stands at five minutes before tip off, and you were like, "Oh boy, yeah, like this is bad." But yeah. they're in it for one of the top players in the country for next year, mm-hmm. um, and so you look at him from a recruiting angle, and it's like he's a good, he's a pretty good recruiter. So if you're looking to keep that part of it going, I don't think he would be a bad option. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would. I think you're gonna have to pay i don't think i'd money, be though. i don't think i'd be a fan yeah. of i don't think i'd be a fan of john beeline just because i again i go really? back to what you're looking for and i don't think he necessarily would it he would be a big in, it would be a big name but i don't know if he's, he's a little old yeah he's, i don't i mean if we really want to move towards uh,
2: the new school because that's what people also are critical of ladle for they want him to be you know they want the team to shoot more threes they want mm-hmm. the team but at the same time I mean, you look at this team they're not going to shoot more threes because they don't have the personnel to shoot more threes you know yeah
1: sure i mean I definitely. Especially agree. off that. the that's bench, like, I don't know who can come off the bench. I think, the I think I agree. It's <laughs> an unavoidable thing, but I do think that uh, Coleman Lands does not get to take enough shots most no, games. I don't, I don't think. think. I, I think even think. Charlie Moore can be throwing up a few more. Like I think that the guys that they do have don't shoot enough, uh, mm-hmm. and I think that's definitely yeah. points to Leo. But the youth the or the age question here. Yeah. How much? How much do you think that plays yeah. in? Because well, I mean, I've it, always it, yeah. thought of it as being like youth translates directly to energy, and yeah. if you're trying to pull yeah. yourself out of the bottom, like bring someone well, new. Well, I of, was going to yeah. say an assistant. Yeah.
4: I don't think an assistant would be a bad hire. Of, Tim Anderson. Tim Anderson normally he's two <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah, and up. Yeah, Tim. Yeah. Well, Tim
2: Anderson is a to stay. I think just based off the fact that he. Yeah. he is such a good recruiter, and he has all these ties. He has his hand in a bunch of different pockets around the AA I also think it. he would mm-hmm. be—he mm-hmm. would be
4: that guy that you could kind of keep to, mm-hmm. you know, help bridge with the players that you currently have.
2: Yeah. Yeah, John—that's a question thing. mark with John Beilein. All his press over the last year has been about how he accidentally yeah. called the Cleveland players thugs in a post conf in, yeah. in a postgame meeting. Yeah. Um, then he said he meant slugs. He got destroyed by the NBA. The NBA chewed him up and spat him back out. So I mean, I don't think he's gonna be hungry to come back to college. But if we're looking at that, you know, a huge difference from later... I mean, John Bieland's going to plug himself into something, but he's not going to plug himself into anything. He's going to recreate something, which is what I think people need. I think he needs we need someone who can create a whole different kind of atmosphere. Because the players that they have now that are going to return next year, most of them will not be here after next year. I think Williams will leave for the NBA if he keeps developing. I think Moore's going to be gone because it's going to be last year. If Jason Coleman-Lance comes back as a grad, grad student, he's going to be gone after that year. Um, and then, I mean, you're looking at... Paul Reed is already going to be gone. Jalen Butts is going to be gone. I mean, next year and then the year after that are going to be completely separate years. There's going to be a bigger difference between those years than there are between this year and next year, I think.
4: And, I mean, if you so. look at what they've done, I mean, would Anthony Grant be that terrible ID? He's got Dayton at 27-2. and two, Yeah. And he's got some Power 5 experience. Mm-hmm. He was at Alabama we'll for a that, we'll while. We'll see how they do in the tournament. Because if yeah. they make
2: it far in the tournament, he might... Try to stay there and keep building, or he might get punched yeah. by an even bigger
4: program. Uh, but, I don't know what his desire because he's been at Alabama already, so he's he's got at least some big name experience. But if you yeah. wanted to get a guy like that, now whether he would want to come from, a, I mean, he's got a good situation at day. Good team to try and dig another one out of the
1: yeah. basement. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah,
4: but that's like a name I think that kind of brings that blend of like you know, kind of a younger person that could bring some energy. Mm. Uh, that would be one name to kind of keep an eye on, but I think an assistant wouldn't be a bad idea, you know, even a Tim Anderson, if he's ready to kind of take over a head coach, I would be worried about giving it to somebody who maybe hasn't had like full time head coaching experience on a day to day basis. Yeah, yeah. That would be my one concern, but um, I thought about it the last time I thought they needed a guy like a Bobby Hurley or somebody like a you know. I know Tom Crean was one name that I kind of mm-hmm. thought of, of like somebody who yeah. kind of brings like that energy. Yeah. That's just, what I think this program a kind of needs. This
1: suggestion here that'll never happen, but yeah. the most poetic, I think, um, coaching hire would be uh, Rick Carter.
4: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, man. Now, Rick Pitino I think we can get into that Rick on another. Rick Pitino would come here and he'd be
2: like, and it, the first thing he'd say in one of the games after their 0 5 to start the season, their 0 5 to start conference play, he's um, going to be like, Mark McGuire's not walking through that door. <laughs> Rick,
4: Rick Pitino you'd get into like a whole different set of issues <laughs> yeah, that I, mean, I don't know if you necessarily want to get into yes. that. All right, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for watching. I
1: Really love to have you. And, yeah. Uh, I'm sure you'll be down here in the time spring. will be back. Yeah.
4: Get we'll you in with the full crew. Thanks yeah. Thanks so much. Um, thanks. thanks.